0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bury Me New Jersey. I'm your host, Sarah Wollerman, and I'm excited to have you join us for this week's episode. Today, we'll be speaking with Nurse Penny, a registered nurse focused on hospice care who uses TikTok to help normalize conversations regarding death and dying. During our conversation, we discussed the experiences that drew Penny to hospice work, what led her to use social media as a way to educate others about the death and dying process and what misconceptions she's hoping to dispel through these efforts. Before we officially kick things off, I'd like to mention our season-long sponsor, Keeper. Keeper's online tribute pages are a simple way to preserve and celebrate a loved one's life story online. Invite friends and family to share memories, photos and videos, plan a virtual memorial service, and more. Use code BARRYMENJ to receive 10% off your Keeper Plus membership. Visit mykeeper.com to get started today. While there are no specific content warnings for today's episode, we do discuss death and dying at length, especially in the context of hospice care. Without further ado, here's my interview with Nurse Penny. First place to start is wanting to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what you do and, and how you got to where you're at right now. Okay.
1: Um, So my name is Penny Smith. I'm a BSN, RN, and I'm certified in hospice and palliative care. Um, I've been certified for 10 years. I'm an old nurse, meaning I went to school when I was old. I was 40 when I went to nursing school. I knew that when I went to nursing school, I wanted to be a hospice nurse. I'd had a little bit of experience with hospice. Uh, My ex-husband's Stepmother had been on hospice, and I was very impressed with uh, the nurses that cared for her. And I wanted to go into a field that I felt really impacted people's lives, so I thought hospice or nursing home. I started off, actually, though, in a clinic and worked in a in a clinic for one year. Went to med surge for a few months. I kept telling my husband that my goal is to be an RN so that I can work in hospice. And uh, because at that time I, I didn't really know if LPNs could work in hospice. I don't know if I mentioned I started as an LPN, but sorry, little sidebar. I was working in med surge, and oftentimes in hospitals, they go through a cycle where they lay LPNs off and we just hit one of those cycles. And I I was laid off and I thought, you know, I'm just going to check into it and see. So I went there and it was a brand new hospice care center. They were just getting ready to open and they had one more um, slot available for an LPN. So I was hired. Um, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, it was great. It was really great because I had a mentor that to this day, I just consider her the hospice nurse, nurse guru of all hospice nurses. I mean, she was just phenomenal. She was six feet tall, blonde, and just this goddess and she's so <laughs> amazing with patients and so knowledgeable. And I was really lucky to get to work with her uh, but during my time there, I worked there for five years in inpatient hospice, so it, steeped in death and dying. I mean, you are at the bedside with dying patients all the time, uh, really observing, you know, what goes what goes on in the dying process. And um, and then uh, I got my RN, and due to the political nature of hospice nursing in this particular organization, they wanted me to go out and get more experiences in RN before they would hire me in the care center as an RN. So. Um, I went and worked for another care center for two years as an RN, and then I was recruited by um, a very large agency to be a home hospice nurse, and so I did that for, let's see, uh, about four and a half years, and and then... Um, My passion is to talk about hospice, to spread awareness about hospice, to educate about hospice. And I'm the kind of person that always wants to take my career to the next level. And uh, there was an opening in a quality position. So now I do quality and education for hospice. I do a lot of regulatory uh, work. um, So I'm really uh, familiar with all the hospice regulations and, and quality and teaching our new nurses. One of my favorite things to do is to present on death and dying to our volunteer program. So I get that uh, ability to work with uh, people on the hospice education level. So that's where I'm at. And as far as where I got started on TikTok, um, shelter in place in Washington (laughs) State. And uh, I actually saw a pediatrician on TikTok that had been uh, receiving death threats for uh, talking about vaccinations. Wow. And I, I was like, huh, that sounds kind of interesting. So I went and looked at her TikTok and uh, one thing led to another. And uh, one day I decided I was going to tell a story about a patient that I had observed in in the hospice care center and, and my feeling about what was going on with her spiritually. And uh, it went viral. And Next thing you know,
0: I have a lot of followers. <laughs> How far along in you making videos did did that kind of hit for you? Like, were, were you making them and just like, oh, no one's watching this, whatever, and then like all of a sudden, boom, or was it like,
1: hey. Well, it kind of, I, I did a few of the little trendy videos, and it didn't even occur to me to talk about hospice. I don't know what even got me to that point, but I was just kind of playing around, and I didn't have... A whole lot of followers. I, I remember um, I was like at one point going, wow, I've, I've got like a thousand followers. And I, I had done a little bit of hospice stuff at that point, like an introduction of who I am and what my background is. One thing I never want to do is misrepresent myself. I, I have uh, from the beginning said, you know, I don't do bedside patient care anymore. My experience is based on what I've done in the past. I still am a hospice certified nurse. I still am very involved in quality regulation education. And I have from time to time filled in and done patient care during this role that I'm in. Uh, but I kind of started with a little bit of an introduction. I told a story about a patient that I had that was kind of a uh, a little bit of a ghosty story you know um, people vision at the end of life that's something I really like to talk about and so from there I got uh, a few more followers and um, I think at that point I, I got I got up to 10,000 I, I told my husband I gotta tell you something I'm on TikTok because <laughs> he's not on social media but I felt like he should probably know that You're like, you know I'm that I'm making the these videos the <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah Experience with that relationship. That's another sidebar. I had a little website that went hugely viral back when I was in school. But so, anyway, and then I told this other story that I was talking about uh, where I'm uh, taking care of a patient whose daughter is a nun and she's got a lot of nun visitors and the nun is leaving at the end of the night, comes out and says to me, she's gone. And I grabbed my stethoscope and stood up and said, Oh, and she said, no, no, she's still here. She's just doing the work of dying. You can, her spirit has left. You can see it in her eyes. Hmm. And so I went into the room and saw what she was talking about. And, and I had not a lot of experience with death before I became a hospice nurse, Uh, certainly not the dying process. Um, but I told that story and that at that point, um, it, that is the video that went viral. And then after that, it was 10,000 followers a day for several days. And then the, a thousand, a thousand, a thousand. And, and until I got to where I'm at,
0: are there some videos that are like the, the ones that are most popular or are there certain topics that it seems like people gravitate towards or.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. They really like the stories. People are always telling me they really like the stories that I tell about my patients, uh, which are all HIPAA compliant, by the way. My organization has um, looked at my TikTok and gave me the green light
0: what also that conversation like you're like so I'm kind of fam- getting famous were they excited about it or did they were they not sure? yeah
1: actually yeah um my uh, the risk our lawyer that works in risk actually is a close colleague of mine because she had been in the quality department before she kind of took off into her own department um so we knew each other on a personal level well a uh, work level a professional level but you know we joke around with each other but yeah I, um, I emailed her, I'd already told my boss, my boss and I very close and I'd already told her. And then I decided I should probably people were, you know, there's haters on TikTok, unfortunately. And people were telling me that I was, um, you know, um, breaching privacy, which I knew I wasn't cause I was not giving, I know HIPAA inside it out and I knew I wasn't, but I just thought I should probably disclose this, um, to my, to my employer just to make sure that that they know what I'm doing. And, um, so I just emailed her and she, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to look at your, your TikTok now. And she was pretty excited about
0: it. Death isn't exactly a topic that's always easy to talk about. So the fact that there was that much hype around it or that much popularity for the subject matter, it had to be in some ways exciting.
1: Yeah, it's, it is exciting. And, and, um, I mean, my colleagues all feel the same way that I do, that it's just such a, taboo subject and it doesn't need to be Um, but you were asking what videos so story time they love story time I do a lot of Q&A now people ask me questions Um, and also I I did go on a political rant um, at some point and that has now been another generator of followers I lose followers it's funny because um well, for one thing, people have this perception of hospice nurses of being just these angelic people. And, you know, we we work in a field that is intensely emotional and um, you almost have to have a little bit of morbid curiosity to be a hospice nurse. And um, the first time I ever said the F word boy, I tell you, I had a lot of flack for that. People really, really just, oh yeah, they just came undone. People did not like that. Um, and not all, I mean, I, believe me, I've had more people that have said, I want my nurse to, I'm going to be saying it. So I want you to say <laughs> it. So they're okay with it. But, um, but that was something that a few people were like, you shouldn't be saying that. And so that's kind of another, uh, in my, in a way of, For me is to be like I'm a real person, and you know uh, people will say you're unprofessional if you're swearing. I'm on TikTok. This is my personal platform. I don't need to be professional. I do have filters when I'm with patients. I'm highly professional um, when I am with patients. My patients always loved me. And um, the other thing was the political. They they
0: definitely did not like the political. With people that I know who are in the healthcare industry, it seems like. Not, not everyone, but it seems like more people feel like they need to take some sort of a stance because it's not just about, you know, their personal beliefs. It's also about their professional beliefs and, and how they try to communicate what they think is important, you know, from from both points of view. Absolutely. A hundred
1: percent. I mean, I, I am not doing patient care at this time, but I have been very involved in doing, um, developing our COVID plan and, um, training, our nurses um, so they can be safe. I see firsthand uh, about, um, you know, durable medical equipment not being available to our staff, you know, getting emails from staff saying we ran out of masks. What are we supposed to do? You know, this ever-changing climate too, as far as when COVID came out, we didn't know what we didn't know. And now things are changing and, I've had colleagues that have been infected with COVID. I have co- colleagues that are taking care of patients with COVID. Um, we had a colleague in um, Oregon, uh, a social worker, who died from it, and she was mm. in her like 40s, I think. So, wow. yeah, it's hard not to um, not to be political right now when that really impacts my professional life as well as you know my
0: personal life especially in Washington state. I mean, my goodness, you guys really were. <laughs> it started here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even just for the topics that you were talking about with like death and dying, did that give you a different perspective? Because like you said, you, you started this really during kind of like that shelter in place. It,
1: it, it did influence me as it went on and I saw how bad it was getting. It, um, it did influence me more. I, I never had any intention of, um, of going in that direction. And, and I still, the majority of my content is hospice and it's a political rant once in a while. But to be honest, like when I, when I started with TikTok, the direction I was in was trying to learn how to shuffle dance and (laughs) I watched shuffle dance videos like nonstop. And I (laughs) couldn't get it.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, did you learn? Did you were able to? No, I never did get it.
1: I never did. I couldn't get it down, but um, you know, it's just evolved along the way it's an extension of me. You know, it, it, I feel like it's who I am and and I'm putting myself out there and I need to be honest about
0: who I am and and how I feel about things. Even just with this project, it's a bit of a struggle because talking to so many different people and I want to represent as many different points of view and opinions as possible and, and perspectives because, you know, the way that I want to die or the way I think about dying is not the only way that, make sense or, you know, it's, it's not the end all be all. And for a lot of people, it's not how they see it. Um, You know, I, I want it to be accessible, but it, it can be challenging because, you know, if it's a perspective that I don't necessarily agree with, or if it's not what aligns with my thinking, you know, making space for it can be kind of tricky. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's hard. There's a lot of different feelings and emotions that, that go into these conversations. So I, I can appreciate it. That's got to be challenging for you, especially when you're, getting so much feedback at one time. I mean, I, I I'd imagine it's probably cool because it, it feels more like a dialogue, but it's gotta be overwhelming too.
1: It can be overwhelming. Um, one thing I did do though, is I set up an Instagram account and, and I made that non-political and I have told, you know, people in the past in some of my rants, if you don't like the politics, go to my Instagram because that I have made that strictly, Hospice, so I still have a place where people can go and get that information. Or if they're not on TikTok and they want to see it, keeping it up, it's not as user friendly. But um, I, it is, it can be overwhelming. Um, I do, uh, I get a lot of comments. I read every comment and I try to address every comment, whether it's just you know clicking the like button or responding to it. And especially want to try to answer questions. Uh, one of the things that has really happened a lot lately as i get more and more followers new followers some of them are willing to go back through the beginning and and i've had a couple people tell me they binged watch me like netflix which is <laughs> hilarious but i find myself readdressing topics and saying you know uh, i already talked about this but everybody's asking again so here we go i'm going to tell you about it again um so it but it can be really overwhelming and it's funny <laughs> In hospice, we always talk about how we have a run on a diagnosis. So um, I might have 15 patients, and six of them have lung cancer.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it, I feel like it's kind of the same in TikTok, in that I have a run on questions. Like people will all of a sudden start asking me, "What is the death rattle? What is the death rattle?" And and then I'll you know have to revisit that and do you know a video on that again and. But yeah, it can be it can be a little overwhelming, but I, I enjoy it and um, I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about educating on the dying process. I think that it's really something that we need to talk about. I've dealt with so many families that wanted to avoid the subject and it was detrimental to them and to their loved one who was dying. There was no opportunity to say goodbye. Um, and it's a normal thing, and I really like to normalize the process. I've had so many people, so as overwhelming as it is to get all these comments, um, it is also extremely rewarding when somebody tells me that they've just been through this with their suffering, with anxiety about how things went. It makes them feel so much better to know that what they observed was normal, um, that they have someone on hospice right now, that my page helps them immensely. Um, I've had a Quite a few people that said they turned on TikTok and my video came up on their for you page and their grandma just went on hospice and TikTok must know, oh. um, you know. But um, that to me is the most rewarding thing when people are are telling me how much the information that I'm providing has helped them um, through their grief and their suffering.
0: Even though it's an experience that literally every single person is going to have and have to deal with, whether it's their own death or the death of their loved ones. Um, there's just such little preparation for that moment, you know, because we've made it so taboo. It's like, you know, a lot of it is just kind of learned on the spot, which can be pretty traumatic, especially with things that are very natural, like, you know, what changes in the body. And like you said, like with the, you know, the mention of the death rattle and things that if you just have the conversation ahead of time and, and you're able to kind of understand and identify what's happening, it can make the process a lot easier to understand and even beautiful in the way Um, but you know, by, by not allowing someone to have that it's trauma, you know, it's all it's it's fear. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I just did a little video on that the other day. Somebody had told
1: me that they thought death would be like it was on TV and Mm -hmm. they were traumatized. And, you know, I said, don't, don't get your information from TV shows. I won't watch any of the medical shows because they're so, so phony. Um, but yeah, if you don't know what to expect, these normal signs that can happen at the end of life, normal body changes can be very traumatizing. And so it's just really important I always, always found a way to tell my patients, you know, that what was going on was to be expected. And, and so many times they will say, is that normal? You know, and there's just relief when you say, "Yeah, that's normal." You know, we yeah. see this all the time, and there's just this relief that that comes over them to know that what's going what's going on is not, not supposed to be scary. You know, it's just a normal part of the dying process.
0: Has there been anything that you've been particularly surprised about or, you know, something that maybe you weren't expecting, like for people to be asking you, or even just the way that they're reaching out to you about the topics?
1: One thing that surprised me was I had a social worker that just went off on me. I told a story about this patient that had 35 cats and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I guess I probably should have told more of the story, but, um, my social, I would talk to my team about telling this patient's daughter that the house really smelled bad. And yeah. I was concerned because the patient had a respiratory illness and um, she, uh, my team said, no, we don't think you should, she knows, she, didn't, she shouldn't tell her, she knows. And I was like, oh, I don't think she knows. And uh, she had to call the police because her mom fell. And the police, the fire department came and they said, oh, my gosh, your house stinks so bad. And so when I went to see her, she said, I got to ask you a question. Does my house smell like cat pee? And I was like, oh, my God, so bad. Uh-huh. And she said, why did you tell me? And I said, well, my, my my team, you know, we talked about it and they didn't think I should mention it. And just at that moment, my social worker called and I put it on speaker and my social worker and I had a great relationship with each other and um I said hey I'm here with you know the the patient's daughter and uh she's asking me why I didn't tell her about the house smelling like cat pee and my Mm -hmm. social worker was like oh whoops sorry because my social worker had been the most vocal about it with that little piece of the story I kind of omitted and I just said uh blame the social worker and man that social worker just went off on me and wouldn't stop I had to block her um so so that that surprised me but um I can't think of any questions that I've had that have, that have been particularly um, surprising. You know, people are very curious about the dying process. Um, What surprises me is how there, and I don't know why it surprises me, because I mean, one of the reasons why I like to to normalize death and dying and to talk about hospice and to educate about hospice is because of this notion that hospice nurses give people morphine until their patients die. And that's all that we do. Um, and, and I know that that's out there, but it surprises me sometimes that there are people that are just willing to, to say flat out, you know, you're a murderer, you kill people, you give morphine until someone dies. And that kind of blows me away a little bit. Uh, although at this point, uh, as long as I've been on the platform, I realize that there are a lot of people who are are douchebags, and they like to just say
0: whatever they want. Yeah, because- say
1: whatever they want because they're hiding behind this, you know, fake. Um, name on their little TikTok platform.
0: I was actually just saying this to um, someone yesterday, like, I feel like having to work with the general public should be mandatory, you know, whether it's retail or something else, because I think it gives you a different perspective with how you interact with people. But then when you're doing it in these situations, when it comes to their medical care, it just is like so many layers of insanity that you have to deal with. And and I really think that nurses have to you know, have a no bullshit exterior. You know, they have Definitely. to. My my daytime job, I'm a marketer. You know, and and I do a lot of social media strategy for clients and things. And it's it's such a challenge because I mean, you know, I see so many benefits to social media. Um, you know, I mean, even just the fact that the work that you're doing, the fact that I was able to connect with you, I mean, the, this show would not be possible if it wasn't for social. You know, I, I've met so many people through this, and it's been it's been awesome. I I love it, but there's also that dark side to it that just makes it so difficult because it's like, you want to do this work and you want to connect with people, but then it's like, sometimes you're like, I don't want to talk to people ever again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's true. Uh, but I, I still have to say, you know, those comments are a small percentage of the, um, the love if you will mm-hmm. um that i get from people and and the gratitude and uh, the appreciation and also my opportunity to be really creative and i've always been creative and i love creating the tiktoks i i don't just do stories and um q and a i also do the little trends but i make a hospice twist on them uh-huh. um so i'll do the little dance but i'll talk about um grief i did one where you um, you know, you point to different words and stuff on there and it's like, boom, boom, boom. And I like Um, normal signs of dying and, you know, um, eating less, sleeping more, that type of thing. And um, so I I do that kind of stuff. Um, So it's, it's just, it's a fun platform as well as being educational. And it's worth going through the bad comments, weeding through the bad comments, because for each one, there's probably 20 or 30 that are positive
0: so has this experience changed like how you want to do your day-to-day job are you just kind of like taking topics as they come or are you um starting to think about like what you want to be doing next even on that platform
1: no I'm kind of taking topics as they come I've let it organically evolve from the beginning and I'm kind of letting it go in that direction still um, as it as it uh, moves along I feel like it'll it'll probably adapt to whatever current thing I'm, I'm working on. Um, it hasn't really affected how I do my day-to-day uh, job right now, uh, working from home a lot um, because of the shelter-in-place. And uh, we're not in a shelter-in-place anymore, but my organization has really promoted people working from home, and I'm able to do that with my current role of uh, quality and education, do a lot of education over Zoom meetings. Um, so, you know, I haven't really... Th- thought about where, what direction it either is going. My ultimate goal is is to, we have a cabin in Eastern Washington and I would like to go back to doing patient care in a rural setting. Mm. Um, I, I like the idea of, of going out and driving around the country and taking care of uh, patients again at some point doing that. But uh, this, the TikTok platform fulfills this vacancy that I have from doing patient care and working with mm. families. As rewarding as it is to to do education with my nurse colleagues and to um, live vicariously through what they're doing um, and to help them, you know, I miss that interaction with And I haven't been able to do any in-person training in the volunteer training. I do a two-hour presentation for our volunteers, and I was set to do one the week after everything, you know, went sideways and the shelter in place became a a rule in our state. And so that was canceled. So I, I didn't get the opportunity to do that, but. So so doing the TikTok, um, it, it fulfills that desire in me to be able to educate about death and dying and to to really reach people through that platform really helps me to exist without
0: that direct patient and family care. That's a big issue. I mean, like with the fact that there's a shortage of nurses, that there's a shortage of, um, you know, uh, medical team members, you know, and especially in areas where it's like small populations, they might not have access to anything. So Mm -hmm. it gives you what you're looking for, but it's also giving, you know, much larger audience that opportunity to kind of think on these things and hopefully prepare for whatever they're, they're dealing with.
1: Yeah. And, and also to, um, one of the things I talk about a lot is advocating for somebody that, um, they feel is failing. Mm -hmm. and self-referring to hospice. And if their doctor is not listening to them, they can call hospice and hospice will evaluate to see if they're appropriate. Um, Because we, unfortunately, my social worker used to say we were the best kept Medicare secret. (laughs) Um, You know, we really don't get people as early as we wish we could get them. And it's really unfortunate because there's so much that we have to offer Not just in patient care, but in how we can help with um, navigating through uh, what you need to do after the patient dies or determine who's going to make decisions. And so many times we get a patient that's, you know, really old or with a terminal disease that comes onto service. Nobody has talked to them about hospice. I can't even tell you how many times I've gone to a patient's home or had a patient in a care center who had no one had ever talked to them about what was going on and they'll say hospice will help you they, they can really help you but they don't tell them really what that means and you know when a, a vivid memory I have is of being in a care center and um, the EMTs bringing over a patient a gentleman from from the hospital and his wife was with him and he's clearly dying and I said to her has anybody talked to you about when he might die and she said no and i really want to know and i said i don't i don't think you should leave i think you need to stay here because i think it's going to be really soon Wow! and she was so appreciative you know people often really want to know uh what's going on and nobody nobody talks to them about it and so so that is you know i'm an advocate for that like if you you're the family member, you see your loved one all the time, you know better than anybody when there are changes that are taking place. And and so it's really important to make sure that you advocate and, and say, hey, is it time? I, I did that with my dad and unfortunately, it fell on deaf ears. Um, he was very sick, had a terminal disease, a lung disease, and he, against my better judgment and my advice, he went ahead and did some chemotherapy drugs for it, he did some steroids for it, and he ended up getting a secondary infection and being mm-hmm. hospitalized. And, and it was a roller coaster, and I kept telling the doctors, I'm a hospice nurse. I had been a hospice nurse for five years at that point. Wow. I'm a hospice nurse. I can take what's going on with him. This doesn't look good. I did my research. I'm like, oh, in this particular situation that he's in, there's like a 50% survival rate. My dad's not in good health to start with. I'm very concerned. No, it's fine. It's fine. And he ended up on a BiPAP in ICU and and me f- finally saying, you know, is it time for a hospice consult? Yeah. And and they finally were like, yeah, yeah, we, we, yes. And and the hospice nurse came down and, and uh, he got on hospice at five o'clock in the afternoon. And by two o'clock in the morning, he was dead. Wow. You know, <laughs> wow. I mean, that was it. We could have had him at home. We could, it yeah. was, it was really a shame. That's happened to me, a professional hospice nurse. And so, you know, I really tell people, you've got to advocate. You really have to advocate, ask questions, ask lots of questions and, you know really really make sure that they know that you you want to know because i think doctors avoid it that subject because they don't think that people want to talk about it
0: yeah and and that that's been one of the biggest learnings for me in my whole experience in like exploring this topic and and learning more about palliative care and hospice is just that the fear that people have about the subject. It's not just with people like patients. It's not just lay people. It's it's, um, it's in the medical community too. It is not easy for a lot of people who are in the medical community to have these conversations, to admit that someone is going to die, to think that you know, there's nothing else that they can do for a patient. And you can appreciate that somebody wants to help and to, to save somebody, you know, at a certain point, the best way to help someone is to allow them to have a good death.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we say that when, when you think there's nothing more to do, we say there's a lot more we can do. In their defense, they go to medical school and they learn how to save people. That's what they do. They treat disease, they save people. And up until recently, they didn't get reimbursed for having conversations with patients about uh, dying. And now they do. So there's definitely been a movement in the right direction when it comes to um, having those conversations, but there's still not very good at prognosticating. Stanford did a study on it and I can't remember the percentage. They said that they're off, I think by three months usually. And so it's really a challenge for us when they come to us and they think that they have much longer than what they actually have. And we kind of break the news to them because, you know, I, 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 I'm sensitive to what people do or don't want to know. And I definitely just, you know, put my toes in the water before I'll jump right in. I like to use the terms death and dying. I think it's really important to be very clear. I don't, I'm not completely opposed to saying someone passed away, but it, there's just something about that that it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me when I hear it. I think it's because I've seen patients who were so stunned by the death of their loved one that they weren't expecting. And someone said they passed away and they were like, huh, what? You know, like it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't click. Um and, and also worked with, you know, this goddess nurse that I was talking about who um, I remember being with her at a bedside of a, a patient who was dying. And um, he was, I think, Vietnamese, and his daughter was Vietnamese, and she didn't really speak good English, and she was really crying and and couldn't couldn't let go, and and that's another you know sidebar. We believe that we can keep people here with our actions. You know, right. we we have to let them pass over, cross right. over, die. Um, and uh, and the nurse walked over to her and took her hand and looked in her face and said, "He's dying." Yeah. I mean, she she didn't speak good English, and she wasn't. She wasn't understanding what was going on. And and it was the most, um, it was just her calm, present. It was the most compassionate thing I've ever seen was for her to just hold her hands and look at her and say, he's dying and give her the truth. Um, I think that's so important is give people the truth. They deserve the truth. Uh, But you know, not everybody wants to know the truth and you definitely stick your toes in the water first and ask questions. What do you you know know. about hospice? What do you know about your disease? Has anybody told you how long you have? Do you want to know? You know, and giving them that, you know, we don't really know how long, but this is what I think.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, you've got to meet them where they're at. You know, you have to, you know, even if you have everything in your bones is telling you a certain thing, you know, if they're not willing to listen or if that's not how they want to handle their death, it's almost like you know, you, you, you kind of have to respect that, which I can't, I can imagine as a challenge. <laughs> it is, it is, it's
1: very challenging and culturally not appropriate sometimes too. There are cultures that do not want to talk about it. I've had many patients um, that ended up back in the hospital in spite of them saying they didn't want that person to go back in the hospital when the rubber met the road, they, they couldn't do it. They, there's cultures that don't want someone to die in their home and they end up back in the hospital. Um, unfortunately, but you do, like you say, you have to meet them where they're at and, and um, we have to allow them to be autonomous in their decision-making because this is their process. This is their family. Oh, I thought of something you asked me earlier about something that surprises me that people ask me, people ask me if I've been visited by the spirits of my patients. Really? Yeah. And I'm always like, first of all, I've, I've attended hundreds of deaths. I've had hundreds, literally hundreds of patients who have died. So my room would be like (laughs) like sardines if they did, but, Mm -hmm. um, no, you know, it's weird to me. Like, why, why would anybody think that my patients would come and see me? Or do you maintain a relationship with them? Or do you go to their funeral? I'm like, no, I'm a you know, when you go to the grocery store and buy groceries, the checker doesn't walk you out the door and go home with you and unpack your groceries. This is my job. Uh, right. People are, are you sad? How do you get, I understand that. Is it really sad? And it's not, it's not sad to be a hospice nurse. Not at all. It's a, it's a gift. I love it. You know, it's, it's great. It's not sad. Um, but, you know, how do you cope after the death of a patient? And, you know, I always have to say, you know, this is, If when my patient dies, if I have educated the family to the point where they're comfortable with this, if I have done everything I could to make that patient comfortable and they had a comfortable death, it's a job well done. I have done my job. My job is over. Um, I don't go to, I've been to one funeral of a family that I did grow especially close to um, and that's it. One out of all the hundreds of patients that I've had that have died because I, I wouldn't have any free time, and and that surprises me when people were like, "Well, I would go to all their funerals." And, like I have a life; I can't go to that many funerals. Plus, I'd right. weigh three
0: hundred pounds. I'm a food addict, and you know how those things are. <laughs> you know, like I always call it the after party, like when you get the yeah when you get the big spread afterwards.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and patients, uh, not patients, um, asked me, um things that, that I know nothing about, like embalming or what about embalming? How soon do they cremate? I'm like, um, I'm going to give you like a user on TikTok That is actually a funeral home director that can get, answer your question because I don't know those questions. Yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: dealing answering. with them when they're still alive. I'm not right. Dealing with this. <laughs> and this, I, there's two things I wanted to go back to real quick. Cause like one is actually something that I think is, um, a an important point that I know we've not talked about on, on my podcast before, but When you had mentioned that doctors don't get reimbursed for talking about death, um, you know, or, or that type of prognosis with a patient, this is something that I think is um, it's not even just with this topic. I know this was actually something that that's come up. um, You know, I do a lot of Alzheimer's advocacy work too. And um, so, you know, reimbursement. So really every minute that a doctor is with a patient, essentially they have to build to insurance um, and, and make sure that there's, you know, a, a way that they can kind of, um, justify the time that they spend with a patient. Um, and I actually didn't think about it in the context of death because I know with Alzheimer's, that was actually an issue, um, where explaining to a patient an Alzheimer's diagnosis was not something that was covered. So a lot of times, especially if a patient was older and I didn't think that there was anything they could do, oftentimes doctors might not even give the diagnosis. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that was actually something. Um, so I, I've, do work with the Alzheimer's association. That was something that they recently passed to to create a code to have those conversations. So that way um, doctors could get um, properly billed for it and then, you know, and get reimbursed for the time. But I didn't realize that that was even something that is not being reimbursed if they're having a conversation about end of life. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and like I said, I, I believe that's changing. I think Medicare actually does now. Um, that that completing uh, POLST, uh, in in Washington it's a POLST, there are other places I have it too, the Physician Order for Life Sustaining Treatment, having discussions about whether or not a person wants to be a full code or DNR, which is another, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's another, you know,
0: doctors need no better job of explaining that for sure. And we, uh, but and just really quick on that. I mean, we've talked about it on the show, but DNRs do not resuscitate. So do not resuscitate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So essentially like whatever, if somebody comes to the hospital, if they've flatlined or if you know, they're unconscious, how, how the medical team should, um, proceed with them.
1: Yeah. Like throw them on the floor and start cracking their ribs, doing uh, compressions. Yeah. Um, that is something that, that, didn't used to be talked about, and I believe now insurances are reimbursing for that um, as well. So, yeah, I think they're getting better at it. Um, you know, Medicare hospice, the Medicare hospice benefit saves Medicare money. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get reimbursed like other healthcare care um, organization. We are paid a flat rate for every patient, regardless of what we do for them. And the goal is to keep them out of the hospital. Um, right you know, which is extremely costly. So, um, well, so and yeah. it's, also,
0: it's also such a blessing for the family. I mean, so my mom is on actually her second tour of hospice, uh, like, oh. I, yeah, I, I joke she wasn't dying fast enough the first time, but, um, you know, but with, this, <laughs> <laughs> with the second time, I mean, it's a blessing because having to take somebody who's nonverbal patient to the hospital and explain their care history for a 15 year long illness is like impossible. Um, and it, it's just, it's such a blessing. I mean, I, you know, I agree with you wholeheartedly about the benefits of hospice, um, just from a firsthand basis and, you know, I, and knowing how it's been a relief to my family to have, you know, a, a care team. Cause it's not even just that you're dealing with nurses, you're dealing with a social worker, you're dealing with, you know, there's a, if we need medicine, if we need certain supplies, we can call a number and have someone who can help us, you know, assist us with it. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it makes such a difference. It makes such a difference to, and, and, you know, and, and the other point you made about being direct, I mean, I love having conversations with my mom's nurse. Cause I love having someone who's going to be no bullshit. I love yeah. someone who's not going to, you know, awe me when, you know, I tell, when we talk about my mom's story, you know, or, or where she's at, or, I mean, my mom got diagnosed young and, you know, it's, it's surprising, you know, I mean, I used to joke, it was like my parlor trick, you know, I'd be in my twenties talking to someone about my mom who has Alzheimer's and they're like, well, how old was she? And, you know, making a doctor stop because I say 54 you know, at least with hospice, it's like, you know, they, they get it. I mean, they empathize, you know, there's absolutely an empathy that comes with the work, but it's also like, I know that my mom's being cared for by people who understand this process and they're not going to bullshit me and they're not going to, you know, force her to go through things that aren't going to benefit her at this point. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Yes.
1: That
0: that's,
1: that's really something that's hard to see when you work in hospices people who don't get it and they want to continue to force feed someone who no longer can pick the spoon up and put the food in their mouth themselves. And, um, you know, that's a really challenging in hospice. So it's good that you get it, you know? Um, and also speaking of the hospice team, shout out for the chaplains too. I don't know if you have one, but, um, you know, I love, uh, I feel like our chaplains are probably the most underutilized team members because people immediately think that they're going to be proselytizing. And and in hospice, we are not allowed to. It's not allowed. And um, they're there for spiritual support, whatever that looks like for the patient. But I have to put that pitch in for them just because I always think about our chaplains and how wonderful they are and uh, and hospice aides. I mean, the whole team. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I try to represent that too in my TikToks. You know, I definitely talk about being a hospice nurse, but I do the shout outs for the other team members as well. Um, we couldn't survive without our volunteers. We are required by Medicare to have volunteers. Five wow. percent uh, of our services have to be provided by volunteers. Um, hospice aides they, I mean, they're incredible. They go into somebody's home and they do all this care with the patient by themselves a lot of the times, you know, they're, they're just amazing. And I think really underpaid and, you know, the whole team, I mean, it's, it's such a fantastic, um, arrangement of, of healthcare to have this interdisciplinary team where you've got a whole team of people and other healthcare, um, organizations or fields are starting to develop the interdisciplinary team, but it really kind of started
0: in hospice. No, totally. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We actually, um, I got a chance to interview two different chaplains in the last season and it was cool because it was neat to see, you know, their different points of view and perspectives and, and the different ways that you can assist people in that role. And you're right. I mean, it's, it really is care for all the different, you know, you're covering all the bases, you know, and, you're meeting the families in all the different places where, um, they might need that kind of help. I mean, there, you know, even, you know, I mean, I know when my mom first went on it, it was even like, Hey, like, do you even just need help? Like put in dishes in the dishwasher, you know, like, mm-hmm. is there, mm-hmm. is there like, a basic need that, you know, just so you have a minute to sit? I mean, unfortunately, you know, and, in our situation, we're really lucky. We have a, a good support network, but there are people who don't have that, you know, there's, and there's, there's patients who are dying alone who, you know, that, that care team might be the only people that they're seeing on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've had patients that lived alone. And, and I remember my social, social worker used to get a little bit um, jacked up about that. Like, what are we going to do? And then we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We always do, but they wanted to be alone. That was their choice. And mm-hmm. I would have my hospice aide go in and I had one particular patient that didn't want anybody to help him with his personal care. He was really proud. He was in his fifties. He had a very, very horrific cancer with tumors that drained fecal matter. And he was very, very thin. He had been a bodybuilder. I did a story about him and it took me nine parts to do that story. It was such a long story, but, um, but uh, he didn't want someone to help with his personal care, but we like to get people in the house to keep their eyes on our patients if they live alone. And I convinced him to let my aide come in and she would come in and she would do his dishes and she would take his garbage cans out to the curb for him on garbage day. And that's mm. what she did. And by the end, she was getting him in the shower and showering him and, and doing personal care with him. But yeah, getting their foot in the door sometimes, you know, to, to do that, to To get them to understand the, how important these services are. But, um, you know, sometimes people want to die alone. We don't want them to be going through the dying process alone because, you know, that's, that's not a good thing. But, um, but I have had so many patients who the family just stood around wringing their hands. When is he going to go? When is he going to go? And, He's suffering, he's suffering, and I always say, lingering does not equal suffering for the patient. You guys might be suffering, but he isn't. Look at his face, he's comfortable. They step out and he dies while they're gone. Yeah. You know, it happens all the time, it, all the time. You know, there's, there's a lot of really um, interesting things that happen during the dying process. It's just a very unique phenomenon.
0: Well, Penny, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think is important to, to touch on before we head out?
1: You know, I have to tell you something though. This is kind of funny. Um it, I won't go into the whole long story, but I mentioned that I had a website in the past and mm-hmm. so I've been kind of in this place before where I had a big audience and I didn't expect it. But I had a website when I was in my 40s called Help Me Leave My Husband. um leave <laughs> My ex-husband and I decided to get divorced and um I needed to go get a career cuz I'd been a stay-at-home mom, so I I um, was going through nursing school and he was in the military. We didn't have a lot of money, but we didn't qualify for financial aid. So I set up this website. This was in, um, I want to say it was in 2002 and um, it went, it went viral uh, for the time. Awesome. <laughs> and um, and so it's funny because people were I had haters and I had people that followed me and eventually I, I got and it was kind of you know kind of this journey through my nursing program and a lot, lot of funny stuff like answering mail and went on The View in New York. And I was um, I was on Irish National Radio, as mentioned in Time Magazine. I was on That's the Wall cool. Street. I was like all this stuff. I was in, on several local talk shows. I was in a talk show in California with Danny Bonaduce. Wow. Um, I always talk about the Partridge family. I love the Partridge family. And it was cool. I got to meet him. After I became a nurse, I started working and was busy and didn't keep up with it. And then my name of my website expired. I did have the opportunity to say I made it through nursing school. So I people that were following me saw that I made it through nursing school, but I had a lot of haters. And part of the thing that I wanted to do was to show that I, I actually did make good on my promise to do something that was going to help people in the end, because people did send me money. And I've never had the, like, I did put something on my TikTok platform, but I always feel like I've always wanted to have an opportunity to go back and tell all these people like I, hey look what I did. Right.
0: <laughs> I became me... an RN
1: and, and I'm a hospice nurse so. That's so awesome. Just, that's just a funny
0: sidebar and you can use that or not. Yeah, <laughs> but, no, th- I, that's <laughs> dude, I I I love that. I absolutely love that. I love that you use that. You, I mean it's it's cool that you've been like fit, finding ways to use the internet and like, and like, you know, the different mediums around it, like in, in such a cool way to connect with people, like, you know, these different stages of it. I love it.
1: Well, you know, I, I started off pretty rough in my life. You know, I, I um I had a problem with drugs. I did so many different jobs. I could not get my shit together for the longest time. And, and then finally, and it's, somehow important to me to spread the message that you can be a total fuck up when you're young and go out and still and still be successful and um, and still be a person who gives back you know uh, to society and and that's really important for me and that's a part of my platform as well as you know um, don't Don't let your past impact your present and your future. I had somebody that said, I'm 33 and I'm afraid to go back to school because I'm afraid people are going to look down on me. I'm like, go back to school. You know, you're young. and, And even if you're 43 or 53 or 63. You're still young. Go back to school. You know that to me is really important. Um, talking about that suicide awareness is important to me. I had a cousin that killed herself, mm. um, jumping off a Tacoma Narrows bridge when she was wow. 25. And so there's these things that I, I, I like to use the platform to try to reach people who are struggling in life and um, in their career and in whatever, and say, you know what? You can overcome. You can overcome. And, um, and that's, that's important for me. And, and I've always, you know, wanted to, to do that. And the platforms the social media platforms let me do that. And TikTok is awesome because it's just such a, there's so many different
0: things you can do on there to be so creative and it reaches so many people too. So if you're willing to accept that death is inevitable and that death is something that you have to recognize as part of your life, then it's going to make you more eager to live a life that you're going to be happy about. You know, with my situation with my mom, like once I realized, like, you don't know how much time you have, you know, like it made me stop thinking I'm too old to do this or I can't do this. Or, I mean, you know, I, I've credited it before. If my mom didn't get sick, I wouldn't have gotten divorced. You know, I wouldn't have thought that I could start again. And, and I feel like I keep starting again, but that's, that is living, you know? And, and you're right. There's no, just because something happened or it didn't go the way you wanted it to, it doesn't mean that you can't live the life that you've ultimately wanted. It just means that like you needed that step to get to the next step.
1: Yeah. You know, it's um, interesting. My husband and I have property in Eastern Washington, I mentioned, and then our neighbor, um, he wanted to move up there and live off the land. Um, it was his dream, and his wife died, and he decided it was time to go ahead and do it. And he had a cardiac condition. He hauled a bunch of junk up on this property, which we always have to drive past to get to our cabin, and we've just cursed the whole time. Like oh, we brought this 32-foot trailer up here. It's just a dump. It looks horrible. And um, and then he died a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. he never did get to go live up there. And we've been trying to uh, buy the property from his son. And they've always said they wanted to go up there and try to live his dream out, but they've they're not really the kind of people who you know want to live in that it's very off the grid type property. Um, so long story short, they agreed to sell the property to us. So I went to their house to sign papers with them last week, and we were talking about you know the his stepdad and how they they really wished he would have had an opportunity to live his dream out. And I said, you know, he did live his dream out sometimes. It's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Yeah. He bought his property, he brought his trailer up here, he got his tractor up here, and his, all this stuff that he wanted to have up there, and yeah, he didn't get to die on that property, you know, and he didn't get to live there for a long time, but he still, in a way, fulfilled his dream, you yeah. know, he did. We're all going to die someday, there is an end point, you don't, I don't I've had patients who were a hundred years old who still had things that they had to do before they died. I don't think anybody dies without having things that they wish they could have done, yeah. or that they have to do. You know, so it was a, it was kind of like for me as I was talking to them about, about it, thinking, yeah, it really is. It's it's about the journey. It's not the destination. It's what do we do with our lives. Right now, that's important. We only get one life and we need to be the best we can be and and live to our fullest you know capability and be happy.
0: No absolutely. So, it's just come up a lot about how music helps or influences the work that people do or just like the whole process. Um I don't know if you have any experience. I am
1: a partridge family fan. I grew up with the partridge family. I love I know they're just studio musicians and of course David Cassidy, but I'm always talking about how I'm a huge Partridge Family fan. I did a little TikTok video about how when I die, if I'm dying, my kids have to play Partridge Family music for me. And my sister and I talk, we do everything Partridge. Well, we'll just go on a road trip and we'll play Partridge Family songs the whole time. So there's a song called On the Road. Um, I'm on the Road by Partridge Family. And that's my theme song. And it's like, I'm on the road, traveling free and easy, traveling on, gotta get on. And that is my theme song. So yeah, Partridge Family. I love it. I used to listen to it all the time in between my home visits. Crank okay. up the David Cassidy. I so. love it. I love it I <laughs> it like totally
0: it. dates me too, right? Like, oh, uh, hey, dude. But I feel like Partridge <laughs> Family. It's like you can't go wrong. I mean, like there are certain things. It's like the monkeys too. You know what I mean like there's like these like. Oh yeah. Where it's just like it, it feels good. It makes you feel good. And it's it's good decompression music in between like you know like dealing with heavy shit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is. It really is. It's very, very, uh, very good decompression music. It's like total, total pop, teeny bop pop. And and it just I always it makes me happy to listen to it. You know, it's it's always something that I, I've i always gone to my entire life. So it just kind of harkens me back to the day when I was a kid and carefree. And, and I love, love listening to
0: it. If someone's looking for your videos, if they're looking for you on TikTok or Instagram, where can they find you?
1: I am at, um, at nurse underscore Penny on TikTok and I'm, um, Penny underscore the underscore nurse on Instagram. I, um, there was already nurse Penny apparently. And I was like, darn it on Instagram. Uh, Uh, and again, you know, Instagram is the non-political, uh, more touchy-feely uh, hospice, although I do I, I do the hospice satire on there as well, um, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't do the political in the the, the TikTok is more of uh, everything who I am and hospice and um, my experiences and and my cat Pam and people really like to see my cat Pam too so.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Right. There's nothing wrong with some good like you know like some cat videos in between to, to shift things up a little bit. My- yeah. Cats and death. I mean, I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, I did uh,
1: cat bloopers with her. I had a few where she knocks over my... <laughs> She's a little punk, but anyway. Yeah, I get requests for Pam, so... I'm so appreciative to have the chance to to you today,
0: Penny. This has been really great.
1: Yeah, it's been su- really super fun. Uh, I'd, I'd come back anytime. It was really, really fun.
0: Once again, I'd like to thank Nurse Penny for taking the time to speak with me. You can find her on TikTok at nurse underscore penny or on Instagram at penny underscore the underscore nurse. This is our last episode for our third season of the show. We'll be on break for a bit before resuming with new shows, but you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the latest updates. Find our links for our social media handles at burymeandnj.com. Bury Me in New Jersey is recorded in Hamilton, New Jersey, and is produced by Nick Rumasick. Our theme music is P to the A by Anonymous Novels. Check out their page on SoundCloud to hear more of their work. Thanks again for listening to our show today. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to Bury Me in New Jersey on your favorite podcasting app. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a review to let us know how we're doing. If you'd like to provide us feedback directly or have ideas for an upcoming episode, please reach out at sarah at and that's Sarah with no H. Visit our website, burymeandnj.com to learn about ways you can support the show. Thanks.